Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. If you're like me, you're worn out by all the seriousness of everything. That's why, for this week's episode, I've turned to L.com writer R. Eric Thomas. The man who gave us the phrase, Auntie Maxine. The man whose humorous take on politics has had me in tears. Oh, wait, that's not the right word. Le shook, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to take shook to all different languages. I'm trying to figure out how to uh, say shook in Hosa, uh, uh, just so that we can really like bring it across the globe. Eric and I talk about Emmanuel Macron, Barack Obama, Cliff and Claire Huxtable, Vanessa, Denise, Latavia, and who in the Trump administration he'd like to meet. Jeff Sessions? For what? <laughs> Honey, no. Come on, y'all. Let's get shit. Okay, so let me read this one thing to you. Here's a quote from L.com. The headline is, Maxine Waters will read you now. Quote, I have never seen anything like this outside of a family reunion. Congresswoman Waters is definitely that auntie who got rich selling Avon and doesn't really like your father or any of these low rent people. But you sit by her so that she can stage whisper critiques with a mouthful of potato salad. That one thing that I just read you was one of many brilliant things in the piece that I mentioned before. Maxine Waters will read you now. And the person who wrote it is here on the podcast, R. Eric Thomas. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is delightful. (laughs) So um, I was screaming like a lot of people (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I read this and I tweeted it out and I sent it to people because it just from the writing to the imagery to just the subject, Maxine Waters, it was so, I don't know, it seemed like you hit the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Zeitgeist? Yeah, I think so. Right at the right, at the right time. Were Mm -hmm. you surprised by the reaction you got to that? A little bit. And I think, you know, I've talked to Representative Waters about this piece, like, since then. And I think we both, you know, me and, me and Maxine were best friends. And we both were really surprised by what happened. Because she's a long-serving representative. She's been there a long time. You know, almost 40 years, maybe even more than 40 years. So, like, why would people be sharing a random, crazed internet piece about her. So I was really surprised. I don't go into, like, I, you know, I write my column every day and I don't go into it thinking, like, girl, the kids are going to eat this up. <laughs> um, I do, to keep myself yeah, I mean, from, like... Ho- I mean, you hope. Yeah, but it's so random, you know? Um, I've written random things about Jeff Goldblum that people really love, and, like, I wrote a thing about uh, Joyce Beatty that people really loved. So I knew that it was possible, but you just, you, have nev- you never know. Now, you and Maxine Waters have something else in common. You are now alums of the podcast, and we talked to her about this, and she just raved. She mm-hmm. said, you know, oh, the way he puts words and phrases <laughs> yes, together. I and, <laughs> and you even wrote about the time you met her mm-hmm. back, back in April. Yeah. And you were, I guess, um, you were verklempt. I was. I was awestruck and dumbstruck it was kind of embarrassing actually because <laughs> you know people like people read the column and they expect that i'm going to show up and like show out in maxine water's presence i just became like a babbling idiot um and i'm there with her and Brittany packnett and they're just like on fire and i was just like where am i like i was like dorothy just landed in oz like not even red shoes on just like like stunned shook <laughs> shook sh E-W-K. Exactly. And that brings me to, so you um, wrote, um, and I haven't hit refresh on on your column, but the last thing I saw was the one about French President Emmanuel Macron. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Where mm-hmm. um, you know, his portrait officiel <laughs> will leave you le shook. Le shook. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to take shook to all different languages. I'm trying to figure out how to uh, say shook in Hosa, uh, uh, <laughs> just so that we can really like bring it across the globe. Well, for the people for, for the people who are listening who don't know what shook means, <laughs> please explain. So it's I, well, you know it's basically shook the regular spelling, but it's sort of like stunned. If you Google fainting GIF Jennifer Lewis, it's that. So, like, it's basically any person who's, like, clutching their pearls, can't handle it. It's a fantastic shorthand for girl, I can't even. Because you can't always say girl, I can't even. Sometimes you just got to <laughs> word economy is important. Right. Shook. Shook. And, and I, you know, I did not um, cut and paste the paragraph about Macron's blue eyes. Mm. Like, there are five different shades of blue. (laughs) Oh, yes. And they all come together to be the perfect shade. And something about how how much you want to bet or he better not have waited until the light in the oh, sky mm-hmm. was just the perfect shade of blue to match his eyes. It's true. He, no, it's true. See, we're in the, the golden age of thirst trap journalism. So like Macron, I guarantee you, waited until the sky matched his eyes. He brought the flag in. That was a perfect blue. There's, I think, a blue something on his desk in that portrait. It's perfect. Uh, and it's like he's saying, uh, hello, Eric, do you want to write about this? And I was like, absolutely. Uh, because, like, why not? Um, yes, it's very important, his policies and whatnot. But, like, I'm very interested in his aesthetics. Like, that's my, that's my beat. Well, well you're, the piece starts with a picture of what you call Destiny, <laughs> oh, Destiny's, Destiny's Dilfs. Mm-hmm. And it is... Uh, now, former President Barack Obama, mm-hmm. uh, Canadian Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. and Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto. Yes. And so in comes Emmanuel Macron. The fourth member. He's Latavia of Destiny's Dilfs, and I'm excited to have him here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it's people on Twitter sometimes are like, why are you always talking about these like world leaders and how hot they are? Like, what about? Because they're hot. But they're hot. I mean, hello. I have eyes. Right. <laughs> what? Right. I'm dead. No, I'm. T- I'm here to talk about how hot they are and sometimes their problematic policies. Also, not to, you know, not to be lookist or whatever, but like, I, there's a dearth, I think, of uh, quality material coming from uh, south of the Canadian border. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah, I mean, Canada's got theirs. Mexico has theirs. Mm -hmm. Ours left six months ago. Yeah, ours is uh, water surfing. Water surfing? I don't know what that is. Kite surfing. Kite surfing. (laughs) Another K-pop alum, Richard Branson, Mm -hmm. was on talking talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those, and, and that's the thing. You release those photos and you, you want me not to like just tweet about them all day? No. Barack Obama shows up like shirtless in a, in a uh, life vest uh, attached to the back of a boat. I have some words. I have some words for that. <laughs> and wait, and what words do you have? Yum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's one word. <laughs> I just try to get an entry in like his presidential library. Like I just want like the R.R. Thomas Thirst Room where I'm just like, like, you know, it's like one of those like cartoons with the cat, with the wolf, with the tongue hanging out of his right. mouth. That's me. <laughs> From the old for, cartoons. Exactly. Uh, no, it's like I, I, I am happy that Barack is is Barack. You know, I, I call him Barack because yeah, mm-hmm. we're you know good friends. Um, uh, that he's out here living his best life. I feel like when I go through pictures of him, I'm like scrolling through like an ex's Instagram. I'm just like, oh, look at you! Oh, you you got the glow up. Okay, good for you. Um, and like you know, every once in a while, I send him a sup uh, tweet. Right. You right. Know, like, well, like at three in the morning. Yeah. What you doing? Just hanging out. Mm-hmm. You know, I read that book you sent me. 
<laughs> that hope is audacious. <laughs> you know, one thing you you put in your your piece about Macron mm-hmm. that also shook you was mm-hmm. the fact that in addition to the portrait, they also released a video of him, sort mm-hmm. of like the making of the portrait, mm-hmm. where he's flipping through a book, yeah. lands on the perfect page, <laughs> yes. and then they don't use it. Exactly. It's not even in the picture. It's not in the picture. It's just there. It's just the spirit. So I just said it was like it was a picture of like Justin Trudeau's face, just like, like smiling up at him, like "Vous can do it." Um, <laughs> I took high school French, so. <laughs> That's it's coming in handy. You know, the other thing that makes your pieces so much fun to read, it's that they're also fun to look at in the sense mm-hmm. that, as I mentioned before, at the top of the Ma- Macron piece, there's the picture of Obama, Trudeau, and Peña Nieto. You have this thing about like the French put up a, an official portrait of Macron, and I and, and it says you write me colon, and it's a picture of Aretha Franklin with a video <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. looking like you have to be engaged mm-hmm. when you when. Re- Reading your pieces is that how you how you pull all this together you're not just thinking of the words and the imagery in terms of what you um uh, write about but mm-hmm. also what instagram photo what pinterest photo what gif what what video can i attach to this to have it become more alive oh absolutely yeah i um i think that's one of the great things about writing for the internet is that i can use different uh, media to either act as shorthand or to sort of act as a button on a joke. And that's something, you know, I studied English in college so that I, so that I know words. And instead I spent most of my day like searching for the right gif of Aretha Franklin, like videotaping somebody. But I think it's, it's this sort of, it is like a, it's a shorthand that allows me and the reader to have this other conversation which is like a really serious way of saying like, oh, it's funny. But it like I think it's the Internet really allows for us to like carry on multiple conversations at once. So like, you know, when when I put up a GIF of, you know, Aretha or uh, New York from I Love New York or whoever, um, it's both talking about what the subject Macron or Trudeau or Obama, as well as like the reference to the, the pop culture uh, event that's in the GIF or in the, in the image, which I think is really fun. Mm-hmm. So you've met uh, Congresswoman Waters. I have. Um, who else would you like to meet? Oh, my gosh, everyone. Well, I would, I, I'm, I, I live my life trying to get Oprah's attention. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, are you out there? Um, I'd love to meet Shonda Rhimes. Um, mm-hmm. I think Shonda Rhimes is brilliant. I, I read The Year of Yes on a plane trip across the country. And I tell people all the time, I got on that plane one person and I got off that plane a different person. And my life has been different since then. How? What, what was oh it Oh, my goodness. It? I feel like it's... So the year, yes, the basic premise is like she says yes to things that she wouldn't say yes to normally. Which is like, that's doing the premise a disservice because it's, it's not saying how transformational it is. Um, and it's not so much about like, oh, I'm going to like... I'm going to say yes to like ice skating or whatever. It's sort of like I'm going to examine the reason that I'm withdrawing from life and reverse it. And pretty much everything, not everything good, but so much that uh, so much good that has happened in my life has been post year of yes. And and I'm Hmm. not doing sort of a a year of yes, but I'm doing a sort of like I, I am trying to embrace a spirit of possibility. So give me an example. Uh, something you've done as a result of yes. Oh, this the column. The reason that we're speaking right now started because I had a Facebook post that went viral, and my editor like reached out to me, and she's like, "Hey, do you want to do this every day?" 
for money? And I was like, you know, like I probably would have said yes to it regardless, but I had a full-time job um, at the time. And I didn't know that this was something that I didn't know what, what it was. You know, I was like, I wrote a hundred words on Facebook. I don't know that I have something to say to the world. Yeah. I'm speaking to the world uh, always. Um, (laughs) And so, but I was like, yes. And so every day I say yes in an, in a new and stranger way. And I think it's, I think sometimes it can be as difficult to say yes to opportunity that looks good as it, as, as it is to say yes to something that's like difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because people self-sabotage. Oh, like, the... you, ha- you have dreams like, wait, here, here, you can have your dream. And mm-hmm. someone would be like. Oh, I love to self-sabotage. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm like, I'm like evil Kermit and regular Kermit in that, that one meme. I'm like, I'm wearing a black hood and also not. I don't know. Uh-huh. I, <laughs> I get you. That's a great description of a uh-huh. meme. So, and, and I think that's the thing that, that Shonda talks about a lot is is sort of why and she's in this astoundingly successful position you know when she's writing about the year of yes and she's like well why am i why am i sabotaging myself why am i hiding myself from people why am i she's asked there's one pivotal chapter where she's asked to give a commencement speech i believe it's at dartmouth and she says yes because she has to um because of her vow to herself and then she she's like attacked by this these feelings of inadequacy and it's astounding that Shonda Rhimes can feel that way. But of course she can, because she's a human person. Right. And I love that, you know, and I love to remind people that, you know, you may think that I'm perfect, um, but I also am human, like Shonda Rhimes, me and Shonda. And is there anyone in the Trump administration you would love to meet? <laughs> As Ira Madison says, keep it. Um, <laughs> not, not, even, not even Kellyanne Conway oh, no. or Jeff Sessions. No, for, Jeff Sessions, for what? <laughs> Honey, no. What about can, the Mooch, Sca- I, Anthony Scaramucci? I would love to meet Scaramucci because I think that he is aware that he is a Coen Brothers character. I think that he is literally, he's just like playing a part. He's John Turturro. He's killing it. He's going to get nominated for an Emmy. I'd like to meet him just because I'm just, I just, I like theater. And he seems to like theater. He's, he gave this quote um, where he, he had leaked the firing of Michael Short. Um, so Michael Short found out that he was fired, assist- the assistant um, press, tech- press secretary, finds out he was fired from Politico. And then Scaramucci says to Politico, I, I had to get rid of him because I had to stop the leak. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, really? Right? Like, what's going on? Are you walking out too? Yeah, he's like, he's like Mr. Green and Clue. He's like, I had to stop the screaming. Like, it's nonsense. <laughs> like, it's crazy. So I, I would, I guess, like to meet him I'd like to meet, I would love to meet Jer Jer and uh, Ivanka. Like, I would, I would just love to be in their presence. Um, I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> but why? Um, you I know, mean, just I to find wonder what out. it feels like, but. I, well, one, I wonder, everyone is playing a part in this White House, I believe. Um, and so I don't think, I don't pretend that I'd be able to get beneath the veneer. Um, but I feel like they're playing a different uh Part than the rest of them. They're in a different movie. Um, it's like directed by Lars von Trier, and it's like, it's like very creepy. Um, so I'm curious. I'm curious what they're like. Um, I wouldn't want to like have dinner um, because I always stay for dessert, and I think I'd be ready to go. Um, but like cocktails, sure. Well, you know, my my husband and I uh, met them. Actually, we were at the same table oh. at a mutual friend's wedding celebration a few years back. And 
perfectly lovely, mm-hmm. pleasant, you know. And now here we are. So, <laughs> no, 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 um, I'm surprised you didn't say Melania, the first lady. No, I mean, you know, uh, all due respect to her and, and her office, just I'm uninterested. I mean, here's the thing. I am... I'm curious about everyone, you know, so like if anyone sent me an email after after this and was like, okay, well, I'm calling your bluff, you're going to meet Jeff Sessions, I'd be like, okay, but I don't, I don't think about her, uh, Mrs. Trump, very often, um, so... I, very often, as <laughs> if she were an old friend. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. has since starred. It's, it's true, you know, we, you know, occasionally she'll come up on my Instagram, um, but uh, for the most part, I, I don't... Or she doesn't come to mind. So no disrespect to her. And I, you know, I imagine that there are people who are sharpening uh, knives in my DMs right now um, <laughs> about it. But I just, you know, this, mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't think about her. So, you know, one of the things that um, people might get from reading your columns in L.com and even from listening to this conversation is that what you're really good at is storytelling. No, oh, thank you. Like you you tell stories, you love to tell stories. If you go on YouTube, you can find Eric's like 5 minutes or so mm-hmm. tell, telling a story. The ones that I've watched have involved your family. You, mm-hmm. you you said in one of them that you have um you have sitcom parents. Everyone should have sitcom sitcom parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk more well first talk about the storytelling. What is it about storytelling that you that you like? Um, what I like about, so uh, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Sometimes people ask me, because I write comedy on the internet, um, and because I'm a generally hilarious person, they're like, why don't you do stand-up comedy? And I've tried it once or twice, and it has been a flaming failure. And the reason, I think, is because stand-up comedy is a bit like purgatory. You're always in the middle of the problem. If your problem is solved, there's nothing funny. Where storytelling uh, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you get a resolution. And I really like that. And I discovered storytelling in this period in my life where there wasn't a lot of resolution and there was a lot of sort of internal conflict. And so I started telling story, uh, stories at like live storytelling shows uh, in Philadelphia. And I discovered, I discovered this external permission that I wasn't aware existed. I discovered that when you open your mouth and, and share a part of yourself, um, you open this conduit between yourself and either one other person, a dinner table full of people, or a, a room full of strangers. Um, and that was life-affirming, life-saving for me. Storytelling saved my life. I think you said it in either in one of these storytelling videos that I saw, or maybe mm-hmm. it was written down, you said telling the truth opens up doors. It's true, absolutely. That is terrifying as much as it's empowering for me. Um, but it's, it's true, when you speak to who you are, you create this space in the narrative. Telling the truth about who you are means uh, that there is, even if it's not written down or recorded, there's a record, there's an echo, um, and you exist. And existence, no matter who is in the White House, no matter who's in power, existence is uh, resistance. And existence is, it changes the shape of the narrative. So when I talk about my experiences uh, as a black person or as a queer person or as a Christian or as any other uh, identity that I align with, I'm adding myself to the narrative. Um, and that's really, really important. In, in listening to you you speak, especially when you said, no matter who's in the White House, existence is resistance. And it made me think of like what we've been through mm-hmm. in the last three years. And mm-hmm. I'm going, or if you want to go all the way back to when Trayvon Martin was killed mm-hmm. and how we have watched over all these years going from 
learning about a teenage unarmed teenage black kid being killed by a wannabe neighborhood watch person mm-hmm. to actually seeing videos mm-hmm. of unarmed African Americans being killed. And I'm just wondering, as a storyteller and in the world you inhabit, the, the storytelling world you inhabit, have you noticed a change in that narrative in which mm. you exist? Are people's stories changing? Um, their demeanor has have their demeanors changed as a result of all of this, do you think? I think sometimes, absolutely. I think there are people who who don't identify as racial minorities who are struggling with ways to talk about their feelings and their experiences while also being very aware that sometimes they're taking up space that perhaps they don't want to. And which is, I think narratives are very flexible and that the space is infinite. However, I think there are platforms where the space is finite. I think for people of color or people in different oppressed groups, I'm over the last couple of years, I've seen and heard this, this newfound, I want to say confidence um, in the worth of the story. I think a lot of times, and I would do this too, when I was first telling stories, I would do a lot of explaining, presuming that the audience didn't know what my experience was like. Um, so talking about like where I was from and, and you know, black people do this and blah, 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 blah. And I don't do that anymore. I'm just like, this is who I am. This is where I come from. Either you're in it or you're not in it. And I think that is a narrative tool that people who aren't in oppressed groups get to use all the time. You see a story, you see a movie or you hear a story about a middle-aged married white guy who's like frustrated in his job. You don't wonder like, well, I, well, why, why is he frustrated in his job? Or like, what, is it his age or his gender? You're like, cool, got it. He's, he's, he's the main character in every movie, you know? Um, <laughs> but like, with, like, you look at something like Moonlight, there were so many think pieces where people were like, okay, but like, like what was it about Chai's upbringing or experience? And was it okay that he dealt drugs? And the movie doesn't, Right, it doesn't explain. It's no. a, this is what it is. This is what it is. You're dropped in. You are dropped into a situation. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, that's I've never thought of. I've never thought of it that way because that movie was just mm-hmm. stunning. Oh, absolutely. So beautifully done. It mm-hmm. spoke to me on so many levels, and I, I had not thought of that. That it just there's no explaining. There's no apologizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even it's just here it is. Yeah. Here's the story. Absolutely. You know. So. Back to where, oh, <laughs> where it's not, no, not, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Sitcom parents. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. In, in terms of telling your story and mm-hmm. not explaining everything, but I love how you talk about your parents and you talk, you talk about them as part of a journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how your mother likes to scrapbook. Oh, she loves it. Uh, and there was one story in particular where like, you couldn't understand it, um, but you made your own. Mm-hmm. scrapbook and has one picture in it if I if I heard it right and it's a picture of your father taking a picture of your mother taking a picture of of a huge tree and of, of a huge Redwood tree forest. yeah right good memory and yeah. then um you um I th- well you you tell what the caption what the caption so, is and underneath it it said uh welcome home the story is uh about this trip I took with my parents after sort of this period where I was you know, this in the, in the wilderness period that I was going through. And so they invited me 
uh, to go on a, uh, a trip with them down the Pacific Coast Highway. We flew to Seattle and then we drove down to the Redwood Forest. So it was like eight days in a car with <laughs> just my parents. <laughs> so, you know, great. <laughs> Superb, yeah, right. as Macron would say. Um, and uh, Ooh, I'm not sure. I, I was shook, and I was like, you know, I was in this weird place in my life and where this weird place emotionally. And so it was there was a lot going on internally, you know, um, and so I ate a lot of snack cakes. That's my sort of coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I like you I have your a, feelings. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings and they're delicious. And um, and so by the end of the trip, we get down to the Redwood National Forest and my mother is obsessed with finding this one tree called the big tree. Uh, now, the Redwood Forest, I don't know if you heard, there's a lot of big trees there. <laughs> but she wants to find the big tree. She read about it in a map. That's what she does. She sits in the back of the car on trips with my father, and she like reads the map, uh, like a paper map, and she finds things she wants to see. She is the the earth storyteller of our family. She's she's the master of uh, of the narrative, the the keeper, and so her scrapbooking and her place finding and her conversation. It's all in this effort to continue to affirm existence, affirm our existence, affirm her existence. And I think that's really lovely. In the car, however, <laughs> um, it became this like huge point of contention because like we're looking at road signs and she's like, gotta find the big tree, gotta find it. And we pull over the side of the road and she's like looking at different trees. She's like, is this, how big is this tree? How big is, I don't know, is this tree big enough? This car full of Germans gets up behind us and they're looking for the big tree. That is it, that is the tree. That's my German accent, thank you. So eventually we find the tree. And my parents have this habit when they go on vacation. My mother takes pictures of everything. She carries two cameras around with her all the time, always documenting, always collecting. And so my father likes to take pictures of my mother taking pictures of things. And so I took a picture of them because I want to fall in line with this grand narrative of people doing the most. And that, for me, was this sort of return or sort of aligning of my, of my particular narrative um, closer, closer to theirs. I say that my parents are, and this is frustrating now, but I say my parents are Cliff and Claire Huxtable. Um, right. You know, uh, and like, just like, remember the best things about the Huxtables, you know, not whatever is happening right. in real I mean, life. The, the show, I guess, that shall not be named, yeah. <laughs> where Cl- Cliff and Claire were the matriarch and patriarch of this family, were hugely important mm-hmm. to the country in terms of how it saw African Americans. Absolutely. You know, we were no longer living in slums in the projects. Mm-hmm. We were now, you know, two professional family and, you know, upper middle class and, and all of that. And so... You know, Cliff and Claire are a big deal, and your your parents would sign postcards to you. You Cliff know, and Claire. Cliff and Claire. They still do now. But there is also a postcard that they sent one where it was like spending your inheritance. <laughs> yes. Oh no, they are they are living their lives like they're golden right now. They are spending all the money, which is great because we grew up working class. Uh, uh, my mother has a doctorate in education. She ended her career as a school principal, but she took 16 years off to raise my brothers and me. And my father worked like three jobs to keep us all afloat and keep my brothers and me in school. He would like get up at five in the morning and deliver newspapers. And so like I was able to see this like insane work ethic, this insane commitment to us and to our story, while also like having this sort of like family that banters together thing that the that cliff and claire do and so like i felt 
during that period with the the car trip, I was very much in my Denise place. You know, <laughs> I had gone off. I didn't go to Hillman. I went to you know I went to Columbia, but like it was I was in my Denise phase. Um, but now I feel like I'm like a Denise with a, like a Vanessa rising. Um, <laughs> so I'll take it. And also, what's so important about that is. They're saying sending you postcards saying spending your inheritance. Mm-hmm. Like it's part of the the journey. Oh, absolutely. Their journey. It's sort of a reminder. Like how look how far we look how far we've come. Absolutely. I think oh. is how you've explained it. It's yeah, absolutely. And, and you know that story was like five or six years ago. I, I the first time my husband, who's he's a white person, I always get weird when I say <laughs> that. I'm like, what do they call them now? I, I have one of those too. Do you? Yeah, yes. a, a Caucasian yes. American. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, you know, I, he, he came down to meet my parents. And the first thing they did, my mother, you know, she hugs him. This is a couple of years ago. She hugs him and she brings him up to the dining room. And uh, she's like, do you want to, do you have time to see the, the, the photos? And he's like, yeah, which is a trap. She opened the vault door. Oh, <laughs> indeed. It's like Scrooge McDuck diving into like a, the gold coins. It's right. just like, oh, get ready. But we start in the dining room. In the, in, in the dining room, on one side of the dining room table is this painting I had commissioned years ago of my mother's grand, great-grandfather, uh, sorry, grandfather baptizing one of her uncles in the a river that uh, my, family's, my family comes from, uh, the, of the town where my family comes from. Where? Um, what state? Uh, Virginia. In Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Um, and on the other side uh, is two photos of the slave cabin where my where that same grandfather was born he was born in he was conceived in slavery but born in freedom uh his name was n.a smith and that's where the journey begins you know and we used to celebrate n.a smith day with our family uh his birthday this this sort of like this is this is the place where our narrative it's not where it began but it's the place where our narrative began to flourish um, and so you go, and she took David, my husband, my future husband at that point, from the slave cabins into the living room, showed him, like, everyone, old pictures of N.A., pictures of my father's family, pictures of me in this awkward middle school phase, everything. And then we get back around, and, you know, there's two hallways in my parents' house, and so we get back around to the painting of, of the baptism. Um, so I'm constantly thinking about, look how far we've come. I'm constantly thinking about this journey and where I fit into the journey, and how, how to talk about that into the future. You know, I, I think a lot about having a kid, um, and I think about, well, one, this current political moment, I think about how to keep my sanity so that, like, when I have a kid, I'm not, like, wearing a tinfoil hat and talking about, you know, like, the conspiracy theories. Everyone I know is a conspiracy theorist now. Right. Everyone's just like, oh, it's happening. Today is the day. Today is not the day. And neither is tomorrow. It's not going to happen. Whatever we think is going to happen. I think Ani Maxine said on your podcast, she's like, mm, stop looking at impeachment, you know, which is disappointing. But there is, uh, there is a larger narrative. We are part of a larger stream. And I think about that constantly because I want to be responsible. I want to walk joyfully down whatever this road is. That's really important to me. Because if I'm not joyful, why am I doing it? Why am I? Why am I here? You know, why did N.A. Smith exist? Why did he? Why did he get leave that that slave cabin and go to that river? You know, why did N, why did why did my father get up at five in the morning to deliver newspapers? You know, why do any of us do anything? Why bother? Because there is inherent joy in in being alive. I think even even for black people um, who have not had a great time in this country. Our Eric Thomas. 
Thank you so much. This has been Thank so you. much fun. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. This is delightful. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.